welcome back to the Water Hockey Periodically Only Talking About Jerseys and Goal Songs podcast. Because basically, you know what, that's what we're going to do today. I know the Y Hockey Classico was just played. We will get to it, but uh, jerseys. Reverse retros. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Much better than their current jerseys and logo, for sure. I mean, I, I still think the dream one is using this palm tree logo at the center and then using that gold, like that gold yellow color as the, as the jersey color. And then having the navy blue or the powder blue, if you want, on the, on the sleeves where the, where the gold is used on this jersey. But I can't really complain too much. Um, it, it's, a, it's a pretty awesome jersey. I guess the only real complaint is that by the end of January, they're not going to be wearing them anymore. So that, I, mean, I mean, I understand that Adidas is not going to be the jersey supplier after this season, but the team needs to find a way to make it the third jersey. I mean, I know yeah. they don't like third jerseys for whatever reason. It's stupid because I mean, well, I think my conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat, I'll, I'll admit, is that there's the the ownership group is so committed to the jerseys they created that they uh, they they want to make these the jerseys people associate with the Panthers, so it's harder to get rid of, um, because they they like it, they made it, it's very personal to them. Well, uh, yeah, I know it's the army but, uniforms, it's the Panthers yeah. with the army, and we know what that's right, like. But I mean, like you know the what you know one of the the Viola sons like headed the read the rebrand commission and that was his job for like two years um you know like he was doing that for like a while so like I'm sure they like they would yeah but I I think that they should have like the broken stick logo jersey like the Pavel Burry blues um I think that they should have this jersey I think that they should have um, a red jersey. I don't care. You can make it the new one if you really want to appease ownership. Uh, for whites, I, I don't care what you do. Uh, I'm not a big white jersey guy. But I, I think teams should have four or five jerseys and, and just use them a lot. Like I, I, And I think that they should have colors versus colors as in like, you know, not... There shouldn't have to be a white jersey every game. I think... You know, on TV, it actually looks pretty cool whenever they do do, do it. Yeah, no, I, I, I have always liked the color clashes. I'm seeing it more now in, in sports like college football where you're seeing color versus color. Uh, soccer, you see it all the time. It's neat, but, I mean, this jersey, it is beautiful because Stick and Palm Tree has been underutilized as a logo for this franchise forever. The, the light blue color really pops. I mean, I hated the jet blues. Nobody liked them. They were terrible. But yeah. this is the way to bring them back and make people actually sort of like them because they are good-looking, these uniforms. And you, and you see them on the boat, wherever this was, in the Atlantic Ocean, maybe the Intercoastal, <laughs> who the hell knows. But it's like, okay, now it, it makes perfect sense. And you very rarely see, with uniforms, they can be very divisive, and everybody has their own opinion. But I've seen multiple different people say, like, these are the best of the, of the reverse retros, and it's not even close. And... I haven't I haven't bought a Panthers jersey in like ten years. Might end up having to buy this one. Let me pull up the reverse retros, but I don't. I wouldn't say that they're the best, but I would say they're in the top tier. Uh, I don't know if I. Uh, 
can pick the best. And like, there's a couple that I'm like, I don't even know who they are. Like the one that looks like there's a lumberjack with the hockey stick. Oh, uh, that would be the Canucks, I would assume. That'd be the Canucks, yeah. That's that's one. That, that makes sense. I I find them. Yeah, no, it looks cool. It's just like for it just has you know just looking right off the bat, it's like who's that? Um, but I mean, I really like Detroit. I mean, that's a classic. That's a classic organ, you know, original six organization that went very different than what their jersey is. You look at the Leafs, it's like, isn't that just their regular jersey? Uh, so that's, uh, I really like the Bruins and the Big Bear. Yeah, Pooh Bear, Pooh Bear's back. We we all appreciate that. The Blues. It's a little weird, but I'm I'm okay with it. The funky blue note, I love it. The yellow's cool. Penguins. With the triangle, uh, crest. the Robo Penguin. That one's that one's all right. I like that. I'm the ones I like. I like the Capitals one. I always liked Screaming Eagle. I thought that was a cool <laughs> logo. That one's pretty decent. Yeah, I, I also Peter think the, I, Yeah, Peter Bondra. Yes, I also think that the the Islanders actually embracing the fish sticks is kind of cool as well. Yes. Like it's a it's a again that's an organization with a stick up its ass. So and, to and see I'm, them embrace that logo is kind of cool. Thinking about, you know, who has the most income that they, you know, discretionary spending budgets, uh, it's people who were kids when the fisherman jersey and like they they think that's cool. They really like it. Uh, I'm of that age and uh, I, I think it's awesome. So I think they'll sell a lot of jerseys. Oh, they're going to sell a ton of jerseys. I mean, the, the old school Ducks logo and and you put Zegers on the back of it, that's going to sell a million jerseys. It's just obvious. Uh, the other ones that I liked, obviously, beyond the Panthers, I thought. I think the Kings jersey's cool. They don't use enough foreign blue and gold. I've always – black and silver's boring. So that one, that one's pretty nifty. I don't mind that one. Um, what else? There's got to be some yeah, other ones. Yeah, I don't that mind are... anything that's not red or blue. I, I think if you look at, like, a pie chart of all the colors, the majority of teams are red and blue. And There's an old joke from the Men in Blazers show that life – I'm, I'm going to – paraphrase this wrong life is basically a clash between red and blue which is what the main colors are in any soccer rivalry so yeah you're right so those are those are pretty good i am tempted to buy a jersey for the panthers reverse retros because they are really good the first set of reverse retros was actually not bad either i think though like the the two years of reverse retros you know the first time it kind of stunk because there's nobody in the crowd uh, that got to see a lot of these live because of the pandemic. Now, at least, you know, fans will get to see them in the stadium. I just hope that, you know, the next time they do this, two things. One, they use them even more uh, because I think seven times or whatever it is, is, you know, when when they really nail it out of the park, it's a shame. Uh, and then two is, I think, maybe not call it reverse retros, maybe do something else because you for a couple teams you're kind of running out of ideas uh and then for some organizations like the kraken the golden knights uh and some others like the blue jackets it's like you know how many reverse retros can you do when they're not very old yeah this is is, you know this is definitively true and i can i can say that i have uh you know you kind of lose track of some of them because you can't have teams not participate but then right. you have teams that just looks like their current uniforms. Like Ottawa's looks exactly almost like their current uniforms. Carolina's looks kind of like their current uniforms, and they're just like, okay. 
I, I'd like yeah. to see teams be a little bit, in some cases, more creative, and then in others, you just you're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, like so I think we're going to run out of ideas. I think maybe they do like reverse colors or something like that, and they or you know, they they do they do some sort of other reverse theme besides like retro throwback. Uh, that's that's really all I'm saying. I don't want them to stop doing this. Like I said, I want more jerseys and. Uh, you know, doing something league lot league wide with like this is is good. Yeah. Um, I don't know when I buy this jersey because I'm going to do it and I'm going to burn money on it. I am debating: do I get a player? Because anytime I have a player's jersey, that player immediately falls off the face of the earth, and I don't want to jinx anybody. So I'm debating whether I get a player because if I was going to get one, it would be. So you're getting I cannot, I cannot jinx one. No, I would also not do that. I, I can't do that. Uh, there will be, you know, maybe it'll be a Ryan Lomberg jersey just to be, you know, the very, very stereotypical arena-going Panthers fan. But I also would never do that. So it would probably be Barkoff or Kachuk, and I don't want to jinx either of them. So. I think you should get a custom one that says Lamborghini. <laughs> or a Carter Verhage one that says Swaggy, which is a good transition because we now need to talk about goal songs. I apologize for not mentioning it on the last show. It, it eluded my mind at that time but now that we have the first home game we could start talking about individualized goal songs i was pro sweetness the whole time by the way i liked sweetness i thought it was cool it did did not sound like a traditional goal song and that's why i liked it i i I mean i agree with it but i think it's just time to move on i mean that's fine even after like i liked it i like jimmy world like you know everything's cool you know it's great but even like the flyers moved on from their goal song well like, the I think flyers he's... used to have dupe which was really yeah. cool and then the union co-opted it and now it's their thing and i'm thinking about that because we're recording on the day the union are playing in their playoff game and Let's i am go. really wanting them to win cincinnati yeah it's the union it's the union bowl against pat noon and chris albright ray gaddis this is way too much union talk for those of you who have yeah. no idea what we're talking about C- but i'm excited for this game Very cincinnati cincinnati is the number one destination to marry your cousin so oh, uh, good luck to them tonight. cincinnati's not that bad Come on, don't be don't be that mean to Cincinnati. Me mean to the Bengals. You don't have to be that mean to Cincinnati. Anyway, as I think about the individual goal songs, which I have no problem with, but so you have to then trust. Baby. You have to trust that players are going to be creative and use their personalities, which in some cases they will, and in other cases they won't. We've only heard about five of them thus far, and I'm going to go in the tiers, and we're going to do this throughout the season because we only know a handful of them right now. For the, um, be, be, before you oh, no, no, go ahead. Never the mind. first I'll tier is the good tier, the tier that is that is perfectly acceptable. There hasn't been one that's blown me away yet, but the first tier, uh, Sam Bennett, Benny and the Jets, you will never hear me complain about Sir Reginald Dwight pretty much ever, for obvious reasons. The second uh, in the good tier is Carter Verhage with Soldier Boy's second most famous song, but that's his nickname, so again, good. I get it. He leaned into the bit. We very much appreciate on Why Hockey leaning into the bit. In the weird tier, I'm not going to say it's bad. I'm going to say it's weird. Brandon Montour with uh, It's Still Rock and Roll to Me by Billy Joel. I don't really get it. I, I'm I Apparently, he's he said he's just a big Billy Joel fan, so it just might be like his favorite song now, or something like that. if I'm thinking is... about Billy Joel's songs that would work as goal songs, that one's not terrible. I can't think of one that would absolutely jump out at me as a great goal song. Uh, but like, it's, it's just weird. Like you don't expect to hear Billy Joel as a, as a goal song. It's just odd. 
but it's not terrible. I don't I don't hate it. Maybe maybe it's just like one of those things like where they play the course. He really likes to sing the course. It gets him amped up, and he likes to go back to the bench and do it after he scores. So well, that's fine if it makes himself. Brandon Montour better as a hockey yeah. player. I'm all for it. But I it's mean, that's weird. how I would that's how I would treat it. Like I'm gonna force everybody to listen to my music. I'm gonna sit on the bench and have some fun. I just scored. That's that's I get fun. the ox cord. I get the ox cord. You know. Yeah, that that's not bad. Again, no problem with that. It's just a weird song. Rudolph's Balsers is bad. We like Rudolph's Balsers, but he picked what, a very. It's a, I, I, I honestly haven't been paying it's attention. It's a generic arena song. I've heard it. I can't tell you how many times I heard it. Call it D three basketball. Is there not like do we do we not have a list because for. You they know, didn't release a list, which I thought they would do. For purposes, the, the Panthers are, I think, one of three teams this year that's doing this. The Sabres, and they released a Spotify playlist. Yes. And, and is it the Hurricanes? Or no, it's the Capitals. The Capitals, Capitals are the other one. Do you so, not remember TJ Oshie scoring in the playoffs and hearing Country Roads? No. Well, I do. <laughs> yeah, I usually have it on mute to be honest that's that's uh, fine i mean that's the that's, there's nothing wrong with that i'm thinking of country roads because yesterday i was watching manchester united spurs and for reasons known only to mancunians some manchester united fans have decided to do a song to the theme of country roads which makes less than zero sense so we need to have that analyzed by scientists because i don't understand that uh back to balsers his goal song was just generic arena song very very boring can't can't stand that that's not acceptable. Come on, Rudy. You got to do better than that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I think we should just let everybody pick what they want. But I, I, I treat this as kind of like a, a dry run and that they're uh, eligible to be changed. I hope that they can be changed because his was not very good. Uh, I couldn't <laughs> tell what Josh Mahurra's was. Nobody tweeted out what it was. And the sound was basically inaudible. So I couldn't tell you what it was. Uh, otherwise, we don't know. 18 players on the team at this point because they didn't release the list. The checkers are doing the same thing, by the way. They have individual goal songs as well. They released their list. And I think it's Justin sort is doing Kodak black, which is really, really funny, <laughs> which I, again, great commitment to the bit. So I want Justin sort of called up now because then we're going to get a bunch of Kodak black jokes. And that's obviously something that would be great. But otherwise, I am now, we're going to continue this with every home game because somebody new is going to score and then we're going to get to figure out what their goal song is and then I get to talk about it. And uh, I've been thinking about what my goal song would be and it would be very, very hockey. It would be some Pearl Jam song probably. Maybe Green Day, I don't know. Uh, there used to be a CD of Bush songs uh, in the rink where I grew up playing. So when we did open, you know, drop-in puck and stuff, that oh, was sorry, usually what was played. Metalhead on or... Or yeah. Machine Head, excuse me. I'm thinking of a spiral level. Jesus, I, I apologize. Mixing up two very 90s things. <laughs> yeah, both acceptable. Both They're both acceptable, very acceptable, yeah. but I just mixed them up. And uh, you'd have Machine Head. What about Glycerin as a goal song would be terrible. That, that wouldn't work. Yeah, but I mean, anything from 16 Stone would probably work. I think you could probably get away that. with it. Um, there probably are other good, decent ones uh, out there that I'm not thinking of. But yeah. if I have a good I could, idea I for just, one, I would, I would I pick would, one. I would do something like Fish. Just make everybody have to listen to Fish. <laughs> that would be... Maybe Dave Matthews. That would definitely mm. piss people off. Uh, Steve Goldstein's gold song would obviously be Pitbull. And now we can move on because I made the obvious joke. Um, we are recording this after the Y Hockey Classico because I felt that 
it would probably be a good time to record it. I know there's another Panthers-Flyers game next week, but I think that because we didn't know very much about this Panthers team going into the first four games, I figured we should talk about what we've seen initially, and obviously with the Ekblad injury, there's a lot more we need to get to. I just want to start with the Flyers for a second. They stink, obviously. There is nothing that has convinced me otherwise. They play Tortorella hockey to a tee. They get vastly outclassed at even strength, but they grind you to dust and Tortorella raises the level of a mediocre team. They claim Lucas Sedlak yesterday, which is interesting, but I guess it's better than half their lineup, so... There's a Torts connection, so that could have been a... He could have just walked into the office and been like, hey, I like this guy. He plays every position, like every forward position. I would feel comfortable being able to use him up and down the lineup, yada, yada. And Chuck Fletcher's like, okay, yeah, it's I think Torts also knows him from the Columbus days, but... Yeah. He's, yeah, exactly. He's, he's not a bad like, player by any means. He's not going to make it better, but obviously. No, in Colorado, it's probably like, is there a veto that we get now? Like, if if we get three claims in a year, do we get, like, a free pass or something? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, they, they, they lose they, players they on waivers all the time. I mean, now I'm, you start I'm to so... look at their bottom six and you go, oh. But then they're yeah, so you don't yeah, worry about but, it. But, you know, they're going to have to – they're going to have to send Martin Kaut through waivers, and then that's another one that the Flyers should pick up or some team. I, I liked him in his draft year, and he he hasn't been too bad in the AHL, so uh, I definitely think some team would take him. The only other thing I want to say about the Flyers uh, is, other than them being the epitome of a torch team, which is what we thought, I mean, they're not good, but they're not going to be as bad as they need to be because it's torts. Uh, I have to say that uh, the... The goaltending for the Flyers, Hart's gotten off to a good start, and I thought Sandstrom was pretty good yesterday. And uh, yep. there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if Carter Hart gets better because of the Torts experiment, I mean, Torts has coached good goaltending before, but, I mean, if he can help elevate Carter Hart, I mean, that's not a bad thing for the Flyers, even if it means they're going to win more games than they should this year. And Sandstrom was, was pretty good. The, the fourth goal he gave up wasn't very good, but... Overall, I can't really say much more about that for the Flyers than that, but Sandstrom, I thought, was pretty yeah. decent. Konechny still looks like he's got jump in his game. Nobody else did. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame, like you said, they're not going to be as bad as they need to be, but on the other hand, you know, at least it's pretty deep this year, the draft. There's some guys from a couple different countries who look really strong, and, you know, so worst worst case, just be as bad as you can be and hope for some draft lottery luck. Uh, you know, they're coming out of the season strong. They had a grueling camp. Tortorella seemed to walk the line of, you know, pushing, getting everything out of them, but also making them feel rewarded for doing so. And it's kind of shown up in the comebacks. And, you know, they seem to be on a good page together right now. Uh, and, and they both want to be proving some people wrong about, you know, who Philadelphia is and, and what they're capable of this year. And so far that's worked out. Uh, you know, they've had some, they had a good impressive comeback against Florida and it didn't work out, but for the talent that was on the ice, uh, you know, and that was an NHL I, I thought it was team a good, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there was a, a couple of times where I thought the game looked like a preseason game with, you know, the two defensive cores, uh, you know, and some of the some of the goaltending on on a couple shots uh, from both ends was you know a little early season for sure, um, but yeah it was 
the next one will be a lot tighter and definitely have even more, I think, pushback from both sides. Uh, every game Florida has had and every game Philadelphia has had has been a battle. Like, it's been Philadelphia dragging teams down to their level and Florida kind of dragging, you know, a, another team into the fight. Like, uh, Florida's really dominated possession, but then also after the whistle, like, goaded the other team in the starting stuff. Well, I want to get to that because we, we need to start now talking about the trends from the first yeah. four games. It's still too early to make any really definitive judgments, but... That stood out to me a lot is that this team's getting very chippy. And, uh, well, that's no surprise because you have Matt, Matthew Kachuk, who is, I mean, that dude would fit so well in CONCACAF soccer. I know I shouldn't talk about soccer too much, but he is a shithouser. And it's great to see. You mean he would play in the middle of the field for Italy national team and just chop shins? Oh, yes, he would. He reminds me of, again, it's a soccer reference, but he reminds me a lot of Tottenham center back Christian Romero, who is incredibly skilled, one of the most skilled center backs playing in world soccer right now, but is also absolutely brilliant at towing the line and driving people insane. And that's exactly what Matthew Kachuk does. Like, of all of the things that are big takeaways for me for the first four games, Matthew Kachuk is 100% as advertised. He's contributing offensively. He's doing everything you would think he would do. He's driving teams insane. And, I mean, that's what you paid all that for. And put it this way, like, that's what you want him to do. And they have not reined in his game at all. And it's been really fun to watch. And I I don't think that I could have asked for anything more from him specifically. And there are a lot of things that this team has done that I want to get into, Tommy. And I think just in general... If you were asking me before the season, what did I think Paul Maurice's Panthers would look like? I would say largely it's looked as I thought it would look. They haven't really gotten away from their rush game. There are a couple games where they weren't doing a lot of rush things, but it's obviously still there. Against the Sabres, they had a million odd man rushes. Against the Flyers, they had a million odd man rushes. The speed's still there, but the game is definitely chippier. Um, we've seen in the third periods in some of these games, particularly in if you take the Boston game out of it, they've been pretty good defensively to just lock teams down. I think at the end of the game when they were defending the six on four, that was really, really good from a defensive standpoint, just taking away good areas to shoot the puck. There was a lot of that. So at the start of this season, they haven't played an incredible slate of teams yet, and they're not going to for a while. But at the start of this season, I would say that Paul Maurice's Panthers look kind of like what the best version of that we thought could look like, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, they show signs of it, for sure. Uh, I, I'm not going to... I mean, it's only been a few games. Kachuk's played well and everything. I would like to see him with Barkov. I mean for a, a few reasons, but we can get to more of that later. Um, but I, I think that, you know, I would like to see them be a little less chippy, um, a little more focused on opening up some things offensively and finishing, um, you know, especially in the top two lines. Um, and, and the finishing, I don't think the first line has really gotten chippy or anything, but, um, does it feel like okay there's a couple there's a couple thoughts going in my head simultaneously there's the first thought where it somewhat feels like offense is harder to come by for the Panthers than it has been I mean last year was right so but easy. I think I think that they're 
they're almost making it a little too hard for themselves. I think that they can do a little better to open it up uh, some more. And I think that they can create a little more offense with some line adjustments. Mm. I wanted to say that, firstly, there are, we want to talk about the positives before we get into things that we would change. Because we, it's, they're three and one. It's not a bad start by well, any means. I mean, yeah, the positive is that they're still largely playing at the same pace and with the same amount of possession as they did last year. I don't think their possession numbers are quite as insane, but it's obviously but, it's mean, in the positive territory, and there's nothing wrong with that. So, yeah, I, I think that for me, you as much as I have been a Barkov Kachuk proponent, and I still am, I think that the second line you can see why it's been put together. Not just because of obviously Kachuk's game, but I think that line fits together in a in a cohesive way. I I'm going to ask for it to be broken right, up but, at some point, but that's not their own. But that's not their fault. Yes, but I mean, like, there are a lot of lines that fit and can do well, but they, it, at this point, like, Barkov has four four assists, you know, he's, in a couple games, he's looked good, you know, he's he's done some subtle things, but, you know, I want to start getting more out of him and noticing him more, uh, and, you know, I think that... You know, for Kachuk, I want him more focused on finishing and scoring and, you know, moving him to Barkov will will help accomplish that. Also yesterday, you know, there was times where a couple shifts where it looked like the Flyers were purposely doing what Kachuk does to other players to Barkov. So putting Kachuk there on that line with Barkov just helps help stop that because I think that's how teams are now responding to Kachuk after a while. Um, and and yeah, I think it's going to happen Kachuk more and more. Once doing Kachuk things, then they're going to start chipping yeah. at, so, at Barkov. So I, think, point. so I think, you know, at least if Barkov is on the ice with Kachuk, it's, the attention is going to be away from him and Kachuk's going to be there to, you know, get in the way of whatever, you know, comes Barkov's way. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that we can get into it, but what that line needs a switch anyway. Yes. Um, I think the top line does need a switch. Yeah. I mean like Verhage until last game has been the, probably the worst forward this season. Um, as far as like living up to what he should be. Um, you know, he was just almost invisible for the first three games. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't know how, and then, with Reinhardt, he's like fine, but he just can't finish right now. I don't know how much of that's the line construction or what. Um, Can I present my theory as to why that line doesn't work? Yeah. My theory about why this line doesn't work is Alexander Barkov can play at any pace you want. That's one of his great strengths. We know that he can play on lines that go at Mach a million, and we know that he can play on a slowdown cycle type situation. We've seen that with when Barkov, Hubert, and Yaga was a thing, all of that. Carter Verhage plays, obviously, at Machabellion all the time. You can't slow Carter Verhage down. That would be pointless. Sam Reinhart does not play at that speed. He's a much more deliberate player. He does not work very well, I think, when the game is faster in terms of the, the tempo that the Panthers are setting. All right? And so then what happens is Alexander Barkov has to then pick between his wingers what pace do I want to play at. And I think what's happened is 
He's trying to do both at the same time, and that doesn't benefit either Verhage or Reinhardt. And so that's why, you know, Barkov for Hagee Duclair works really well, because Barkov can play at a really, really high tempo that both Duclair and Verhage thrive at. And I think he could play really well at a slower tempo, but I don't think he can do both at the same time. And so for that reason, I think they have to decide, okay, do we want that line to play at a really, really fast counterattacking type tempo that we know they can play at? Or do we want Barkov to slow it down and have it be more cycled, more deliberate? And what the answer to that question is, I would like it to be faster because Barkov plays at a speed no one else can play at. You then have to decide then which line mate are you going to keep. To me, I would keep Verhage up there and put somebody else on that right wing that plays at more of a faster pace. And when Duclair comes back, that's an easier decision. And then that means you drop Reinhardt that plays on a line that goes a little bit better with his skill set. I mean, I think that there's some truth to it, like in that, you know, it's more, I think, you know, Duclair plays faster and they can do some more things. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily that Reinhardt plays slow or anything or, you know. I think the word is I more just, deliberate. I, I don't know. I think the answer is more so that he's, he is, I, I don't know if it's a pace thing. But it does seem like he's he's kind of caught in between two things. Like it, it's not as as he's not as consistently as aggressive as he was last year, and and I just want to see you know I would like to see what Bowser's backup would do, you know, with him and Verhage if you're not going to give him Kachuk. Um, but I think, you know, you have – and, you know, that kind of goes to your point too because Bowser's is more aggressive and plays, you know, more north-south. Um, and I think that he can fit in the sense that he can also fit in what, you know, they want from the, the Kachuk-Bennett group, but he can also play at a, at a slightly higher pace and higher tempo that suits Barkov's game. And, again, I'm in a Barkov-centric mindset. Everything revolves around him when he's on the ice – so to me, as I've said, I don't think Sam Reinhart plays slow. I just think it's more deliberate, and it's a different game to Carter Verhage. And I just don't think that making him choose between what place to play at is the way that it should work at five. But I don't. I, I don't. I think I don't know if it's a binary. Like I don't think it's you know. Like I think that they can work, and it's not like Barkov has to choose at which pace to play at. And because it's, it's not like Verhage and Reinhardt aren't like connecting and, and you know looking like they're out of pace. I just think you know some some lines at certain times just don't really have it going, and they're not working as you think they they should or would, and they just need to be changed. And, and to me, that's just what it is. Because I think it, when you start to add the totality of the games up. I, I think most people would say the best line's been Kachuk, Bennett, Balsers. And then I think the second best line's I would say, probably been the third line. I would say that's been the best line, if only because Lostranen and Lundell have had really strong play, have had, you know, the pretty good matchups as far as who they have to play against. And, you know... When when the game is kind of brought down, that kind of helps 
helps them. Like they're they can do well with pace and stretching it out and and executing rushes and everything, but they are more kind of like wear you down, think think things through, anticipate plays, work off turnovers and and four checking and things like that i think that combination has worked pretty well and i also think that moving low terrain into the wing has been probably the best personnel move that paul maurice has made thus far because well, yeah, like it's the only one he's really done this is true <laughs> but i would say that for all that you know hasn't really been done yet it has worked because I don't think he'd be bad as the center on the fourth line, obviously, but I think it adds a little bit more, you know, creativity to his game. You're not limiting him in the way that you would if you're playing him with Lomberg and Hornquist, and that's good because him playing up in the lineup is what we've talked about all year, which is upside. But this being said, as you say, when you watch Barkoff or Hagee and Reinhardt play, something just feels off. It's not like their numbers are terrible because they're not. It's not like they've been bad because they haven't been. But when you watch them play, it doesn't feel like that line has the pop that you'd want from yeah. a line that has Barkoff and Verhage on it or Barkoff on it in just any regard. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm not like, yes, Colin White has done done well in the third line. Yes, that second line has done well. So, like, why change those? But I think at the end of the day, you want to get Reinhardt off this, you know, off the schneid. You, you want to get Barkov getting goals again. Um, I mean, because last year he would have, if he played more games, hit 40 goals. Um, you you got to get him back on that type of pace. Uh, because as much as they're playing better defensively, they're scoring less and giving up it's still giving up a decent amount of goals. So they got to find, you know, five or so goals a game on their side while focusing on defense, while being structured, while doing all this to have a chance to win. So I think that, you know, you need to kind of push Barkov to be better. And you need to just be like, all right, what we're getting from Kachuk, we need to get all the time. You know, we brought him in here to play with Barkov. Let's do it. So yeah. let's so let's focus on some other aspects of, of this team that I want to get to. We're going to talk about Ekblad and the defense in a second. The first thing I wanted to I bring up, as I said, I love Kachuk's game. I think Balsers has deserved a goal. He's played pretty well. He's been everything you've thought that he's going to be. You know, overall, there's again, there's been nothing really wrong with the forwards. It's just that I think there's more to give. There's more that they can squeeze out of it with this group. And that's not well, a bad I, thing. I, I, I just think, especially at the beginning of the year, I mean, they don't have a real bench to use because of the cap, but, you know, you you want to see the different options. You want to get different guys, different looks with different people. Because you want to build up that you know, chemistry now before yeah, yeah. You, you settle it in, considering what you're going to end up needing at the end of March and April into the playoffs. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I, I agree with you. And as I said, I'm still on the Kachuk-Barkov need to play at even strength. That is something that I think will happen, but... I don't think it's going to happen immediately. I would also, as you say, get Reinhardt going by moving him down, giving him another idea, you know, of way to play. Maybe you move him with Lundell because he has chemistry with Anton Lundell already, and we know that line last year worked really well when they played together. Again, it, it's shuffling, but it's kind of the good shuffling where you're not making your team worse. You're also adding a little bit to this team as it's trying to find a little more offense. Again, for a team that's scored pretty 
three plus goals in every game. There's nothing wrong with that. But I still think that, as you say, there's a little bit more to give from an offensive perspective. I look at their expected goals numbers. They're exactly where you would think they would be considering the opposition they played. It's nothing bad. Again, I think that there is a little bit more that can be given from an offensive perspective. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, you want to build into as the season goes on. And the schedule favors you in the sense that you still play Chicago and Philly and Arizona and your California teams that aren't very good. So you can build into that. You know, maybe you're not going to do it against Tampa because it's the lightning, but you have opposition coming up where you can afford to experiment a little bit. And I think that that's a positive tack to take because, again, what's what's going on right now is not bad. It is working. But I think, as you said, there's still some I mean, more blood that could be squeezed from this stone. Yeah, I... I, I... It's important not to look off the inability inability to finish right now, and and finish not just in scoring but some of the offensive plays, and that you know they do need to take proactive steps to correct that so it does get corrected. Um, you know, I always kind of say these things at the beginning of the season, and it's like, well, it's just the, really the beginning of the season. Well, you know, it's part of the part of adjusting of matters adjusting well well yeah i mean they already dropped a game against boston but it's more just like you know start sorting this stuff out now so it doesn't become a bigger problem you have to deal with down the line they already are dealing with you know and band-aiding issues so why create more like an inability to score yes the only other thing we mentioned from an offensive perspective is the power play which has scored two power play goals of like 18 chances. So the, the conversion rate isn't very good. It goes back to the finishing, but just from the way it has looked, like, I think it's looked pretty good, you know, from your, from just an eye test. I don't have, you know, numbers on it that can bear it out, but doesn't, it feels like it's generating a lot of chances that should go in that are not going in. Yes. And, and that's more of where I wouldn't try to tinker. I mean, beyond the personnel that they have to with injuries and stuff. But I mean, I wasn't a big Montour fan on the power play, but I, you know, for what they're trying to do, they're trying to have a shooting style, you know, shooting gallery type, you know, power play where a lot of pucks are going into the crease through the slot in, you know, on a lot of different angles as hard as they can and it's about quick puck movement and way more than last year moving per moving the players around jumping in and out and and cutting in and out of you know the middle of the ice in in the zone so i i like that and i wouldn't want to move that so much i would be more concerned about like what do we do to get some of these guys chipping the puck in the net 5 on 5 who we need to including barkov and reinhardt who are two of your, you know, sharpshooters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I think the power play, I like, when it was described and you said, oh, Montour is going to be on the power play, you'd go, okay, I understand what they're trying to do here. I need to see it. And that's been basically what we've said about the Panthers yeah. whole training camp. And then you look at it and it goes, okay, I see what they're trying to do here and I get it. It's kind of working. You just like the puck to go in the net more, but there's nothing wrong with what we saw with the the power play i have enjoyed what they're but trying it, to once, do yes the the downside of that power play is you know they have to start getting it to work so they can start building layers onto it because right now it's very simplistic 
So if you run into a team in the playoffs that can shut that down, and you know if you can read, if you can read shooting lanes well, you can block a lot of shots and and you know chip pucks out of the zone and survive two minutes, a decent amount of times. Uh, you know you could be in for trouble. So just like with the scoring at the offense, you know five on five, it's about doing it early, building up confidence, and then you know, using that confidence to try new things and be able to start executing at a higher level in new ways. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty much the offense. And now we have to talk about the defense and the myriad of questions that we now have because of Aaron Ekblad's injury. The first thing I want to say with Ekblad's injury is the, the talk about Ekblad being made of glass, and you mentioned it on, on Twitter yesterday at the uh, Y Hockey account. To me, I just think that we're not talking about the right thing when you say, oh, Ekblad's made of glass. Yes, he's gotten hurt. The, the, the horrible injury he suffered in 2021 was a fluke. It was terrible, but it was a fluke. And last year, he suffered a similar kind of injury. And as you mentioned, Gabe Landeskog's now out for three months. And is anybody saying he's made of glass? Yeah, and this is going to be his fourth year with under 50 games. Yeah, played. it's like we, we, we focus on that case on the wrong aspect of Ekblad's injury. Like, as you said before, Somebody's going to get hurt. They've had pretty decent injury luck the last couple of years. Last year, a little less so, but it wasn't bad. You know, it wasn't like the Flyers or the Penguins were half the teams out. You know, somebody's going to get hurt. It's hockey. And Aaron Eckblad got hurt, and it's unfortunate. And the injury's bad enough to where they had to put him on LTIR. The question is not, oh, what do you, what, you know, what do we do to keep Eckblad I- healthy? The question and, is, what do you do now that Ekblad isn't healthy and your defense score, which was already kind of thin, is now, like, almost AHL level? Yeah, and, and let's just – there's a couple things I want to say. Like, they had a grueling camp, and then they have a short bench and o- overuse their guys, their top guys. A groin injury is not really – a surprise in that in that situation to me at least well no it to makes me, perfect sense because and, if we're going to put somebody through a grueling camp you know you're not ramping them up slowly you're going right into the intense stuff and then Aaron Ekblad is one of six defensemen he's their best defenseman so he's playing a ton and then he has to play a ton and more when you're down a defenseman because of salary cap reasons because Montour was hurt and so an injury in a situation where Ekblad finds himself in an awkward position It's not really a surprise. These are muscle injuries. Muscle injuries can come from overuse. I'm not saying that this one directly came from him being overused, but you can't blame anybody for speculating on that because if a player is in a position like Ekblad has been in, where he's going to be relied on a ton by Paul Maurice after a pretty grueling training camp, then injuries like that are not going to be a surprise. Yeah, and and again, no one's saying... The training camp is why this happened or whatever, or, you know, it's because, but, you know, the the thing is, going into the year, whether for good or bad, Ekblad and Barkov, you knew if that these players have gotten hurt before, can get hurt again, and if they did, especially for Ekblad, you know, it would really put you under pressure. And, you know, that was a choice they made to go in with this roster in this season, risking that. It happened early on. How does Zito respond? I don't necessarily think he should react and be like, oh, my God, 
season's going down the tank. Ekblad has a groin. I don't know necessarily know that he needed to miss all that time, and they didn't just do that for salary cap purposes just because it was so close to that time, and they figured, hey, this is a muscle overuse injury. Let's not rush him back. Let's just put him on this. They'll guarantee that it's at least this, you know, 10 games and 24 days. Really, you know, give him time to rest up, take it slow, and see see what the and the cap hit relief will allow us to have an extra forward, you know, hopefully, or um, you know, have a couple more D up, and we can see of these young D what we got, who we're keeping, who we don't like. I mean, I, I want to see see more than just Matt Keir set up. Um, so let's let's just talk about the defensemen. We can talk about it as a group, and then we can talk about them individually. Uh, I will first say that I decided Shana Goldman tweeted about, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what it looks like with Ekblad out when they play better teams. And I said, the Panthers have experience with Ekblad out. And she's like, well, yeah, they had Uyghur at that point. But I'm going to say that even though they had Uyghur, like it wasn't like he was just, he was really good. There's no doubt about that. But the other defenseman didn't play badly. And we saw, you know, with Forsling, I think, I think last night was a very good game for him. And I think that, you know, he is embracing the role, you know, as the quasi number one defenseman right now. And that's, you know, it's good. He has really thrived when he's been given a chance. And arguably... Yes, but he's not... I mean, like, that is a good point. I mean, Uyghur, especially in the regular season, is very elite on the transition, which helps stop goals against and helps create goals for. And he can play... I think he can play even more minutes than Ekblad, um, just with his playing style. Yeah, his, and, his and, style and is a little so, bit less grueling, a little more graceful. Even though he, you know, it feels like he gets nicked up every game blocking a shot. It is a huge. I mean, without Ekblad now, you like, it's mainly third pairing D. Like as much as I think Montour has been stepped up great and everything, but like he's now okay. This is he's like a number three. You have Forsling, who's like probably a number two. You have Ekblad, who's a number one. Uh, but then you have, you know, Mark Stahl's an anchor. Carlson, you hope, is is something, but you, you still don't know. Mohoro's looked good, but... Can we talk about Josh Mohoro for a be... second? Just as an aside, like, his numbers look very good. I mean, he scored, and that's great. But in terms of his overall game, like, it's pretty much what you would have expected i think yeah but i mean i don't know how much upside or if this is it and you know we we have to see way more way more games to know how he is there's he makes really good reads but sometimes he makes really bad reads in the d zone you know like he makes really good reads playing downhill hockey offensively uh and, you know, a lot of these advanced stats are really good at determining offensive value, transitional help and everything, but don't necessarily measure as, as well defensive impact. And, or it takes larger sample sizes to really get an idea of what they can do, what they can contribute to the defensive side of things. And, and that's where, it, you know, I'm really interested on in making that judgment 
And and again, what I keep saying is besides, you know, with Ekblad out, it's like Montour is like maybe kind of good enough in the defensive zone. If he continues to play the way he has this season, it's good enough. Forsling's good defensively. Gudis can be, but he can I also think he's be played pretty well to start this season. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's Gudis. Like yes, but I was about to say it's Radko Gudis. You know what he is. Yeah, I mean, they really do, and and I've been saying this since before Zito got there, and Zito hasn't really taken defense seriously. He's Zito believes he either believes in the these defensive prospects even more than I do, um, or he thinks or he believes that he can win with just like two high end defensemen and a bunch of guys who are just playing well and and fit a system or there's the third option which is he believes that there is more value to be found on the defensive market than there is with forwards he'd rather give more money to forwards than he would to defensemen because he can find forslings and mahuras but but i think that's stupid if that's the case because that what they're missing they're still missing that top-end talent, and they can't always be an Eckblad or Forsling inju- injury away from, from you know, not being able to hold their own in a, in a playoff series. Like, that's just, like, if you're, you have to take defense more seriously. Like, defense wins championships. This is a league where defensemen are getting higher and higher skilled and having more of an impact on all three zones are having more of an impact on winning series, on dooming series, as we've seen on the, you know, unfortunately the negative side. And it matters what defenseman you get. And yes, it's great that he he can find these Mahoras and everything like this, but you can't have, you need eight defensemen at least to win a, a championship. Like eight good NHL level defensemen that you can rely on. You can't, all eight of them can't be like that. You need at least four really talented top like top defensemen, like teams that guys that would get 20 plus minutes on any team, guys that, you know, are capable defensively, are, you know, lead play and drive play defensively to get the puck back. I I don't know if they have enough guys like that. I don't disagree with you. I don't and, disagree with you at all. And and so, like, it boggles my mind to hear people say, oh, well, you know, the Kachuk trade ga- gave, you know, these pretty severe repercussions in the short term, but it freed up all that cap space for next year. It look, you I mean, unless you think Dmitry Orlov walking onto this team is, is going to do it, I, I don't know who they're going to be able to just go out and get in free agency to, to help the problem. At the end of the day, Zito's still going to go ha- have to go out there and beat a bush to get a, a, a trade to work, to get a defenseman. They don't have any draft picks. They can't draft them. And, and we've already seen that over years they're just adverse to drafting defensemen high, even though the rest of the league is adjusting. But so why not get go out and – I mean, maybe they're trying to do it, but, you know, it's getting more and more – you know, after a couple years of Zito looking for this defenseman, it's getting a little harder to believe that they can't turn Denisenko, can't turn a Samuskevich, can't turn 
a package around one of those players into a defenseman that's 24 and under with a little more upside than the guys you get off waivers. I mean, because you can't expect to hit another Forsling while Forsling's still young enough to be in, in prime age to do anything. Like, it just doesn't happen that often. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, it's great that, like, it'd be great if Mahora, Kanunin, Shalin, and, you know, that was, like, your bottom guys for, like, your of your eight, you know? And, and you had guys that were better than that pushing them down. And, you, you know, you could have, you know, Carlson you know, waving Carlson doesn't matter because you actually have good, reliable defensemen. Uh, and it, it's something where they shouldn't be looking to go get this trade because Ekblad's injured. They should be looking to go get this trade because it's needed and it's been needed. And at a certain point, it's going to catch up to them. And if it happens in the playoffs or it's the reason they don't make the playoffs, Zito very much should be in the hot seat. Because, you know, he's traded away defensemen. He's given cap space and, and you know, he's given $3 million of cap space to White, Cousins, and Stahl. Now, White is doing pretty solid and, and, you know, Cousins isn't doing bad right now. But still shows the investment that he's been willing to give, you know, on the fringe, so you know, role players on the team and bad defensemen versus actually trying to solve the issue on the defense. And it just boggles my mind because everybody else is going defense, defense, defense. These new age defensemen with all this talent that can still defend. We need to find these guys like Heiskanen. We need to find our Makar. We need to find our, our Fox. Yeah, even, you know... Our Jake Sanderson's are um, uh, players of that elk, yes. Yeah, Luke Hughes. Every team's looking for them and has them. It's just it's it's something that Florida needs to to go actively go out. I hope that there's like a team dedicated to just this. Like every day they walk into the office and their mission, or they do it from home, whatever. Yeah. And their mission is to find a defenseman to trade for with upside that can can cuz i mean that's all it would take it doesn't have to be a big cap hit you, but if you they find like use your leverage for a guy in an organization that's getting blocked yeah and you you mentioned i on twitter it was a Tobias Bjornfoot for the Kings in LA yeah because again, that's an organizational uh situation where he's getting blocked because there is so much in front of him you know, maybe, maybe leverage that. Like, to me, I think that for the time being, if Montour's healthy, when he's healthy, it's not a long-term injury. We'll see when he returns. You can spit and duct tape your way to temporarily being okay with Montour, Forsling, Gudis, Mahura, the like. It's not going to be great because you're still going to have to play Mark Stahl, who has been what we thought Mark Stahl would be, or Matt Kierstead, who I just don't think is going to be that guy doesn't look like it. We hope Lucas Carlson's that guy. I think he had a couple of defensive issues uh, in the game last night that is concerning. I want him to be it, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah. maybe Josh Mahura is it, but Lucas Carlson's not there yet. I think that, as you said, like, yes, the cap could be favorable to them next year. Quite possibly, it could be going up by more than we think it could. 
you know, and that's great, but that doesn't immediately fix the problem because this team still has to be successful this year, even if, you know, they are taking a mini step back to be better in the future. And again, I get it, but that does not mean you can take such a huge step back that now you're running out almost an AHL defense score. And that didn't matter against the Flyers because they were playing an AHL roster. But when we get later into the season, that's not going to work. And they're going to need to find yeah. something to improve on the back end because you can't be running out Mark Stahl in premium minutes. That's not going to fly, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's good for at least one goal against a game. I mean, I you mean, saw it in the Buffalo game and the Boston game where Salt he just got night. torched. You saw it last night. There was two plays where he contributed to a goal against last night. It's not – I don't think it's tenable. And at some point, I hope they do get the courage to waive him. Yeah, it's, it's but, interesting. I mean, to me, I mean, it's just about if Zito really did make the Kachuk move to maximize next year and forward and 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 build this year positively, the best way to put that into practice is to bring in a defenseman, you know, that you can play in the regular season, you can give playoff experience with the team this year, control, you know, have more control into his off-season regimen and his and his growth, and then by camp next year and the beginning of next year, when with all that cap space and everything, you should be back to contending for a Stanley Cup. There's, you know, that's taken care of. You have that defenseman it's more likely for that defenseman to be a positive contributor. Yeah, it is absolutely I, something I, yeah. that's got to I mean, happen. I'm, and, you know, you can still use that cap space however you want. If you want to try to trade for a big-time forward or to use it to sign Pasternak or whatever, you can. Like, I don't understand why you can't get the defenseman done earlier so you can use that cap space to improve the team because you're always going to be trying to improve the squad. So, like, I just don't get it. And it's just so obvious, and it's been so obvious for us for a while, that they, they're they kind of figuring out what to do with defensemen, but they're not, and, and how to use that with their forward group, and it's driving positive results. Imagine if they figured out they they brought they were able to bring in higher talent versions of these guys. Imagine how much better this team would be if they did that. Like it, it could this team this year could win a couple playoff series, could go to the conference final. And and everybody loved that they were able to raise some banners yesterday. We could raise more. And we could start doing that. Can I say that I really year. like how they didn't acknowledge that they won the division in the president's trophy in like any meaningful way. They just put the banners up and like, yeah, no, we did that. That's good. But we've got more to do. Yeah. At least from my, from my knowledge, I don't think there was a big ceremony and everything. And and I didn't want it because I want to still make fun of like the predators and other teams. Well, I was that gonna do say, it, so. Like the, the, the Indianapolis Colts hang a bunch of banners for really, really terrible things that they've done and celebrate it. And I'm like, the Panthers don't have a ton of banners. So you always worry like, oh, they are going to try to celebrate division titles and, and the President's Trophy more. And they're like, no, no, we hung the banners. That's great. We did that, but we've got a lot more work we need to do. And that's the kind of mindset that I wanted to see from them. And that's possible. Yeah. But as you said, I mean, I, I don't think it's bad that the defensemen that they have acquired have a specific kind of skill sets and they're getting value 
out of them. It, they are squeezing blood out of a stone. But as you're saying, when you get to that pinnacle, the top, top level, and you're playing Tampa and Toronto and Carolina and all these, and Colorado or Edmonton, Calgary, whoever it is, they're going to have talent. And at some point, on the margins, there are a lot of things that could help you on the margins, and one of them is just having better dudes. Just having dudes. And you and, know and what? The Panthers right now don't have the dudes on the I think line. they. I think they just – they really just – it's not like getting a bunch of them because, like, again, they've assembled a, a, a lot of serviceable prospects that are in their mid-20s and a lot of NHL players that they – you know – between get you know Montour, Forsling, Carlson, Mohora, like that's you know they they have bodies, but I think with you know they're missing that defenseman that they should have drafted, and going bringing that defenseman in and giving being able to to slot Montour back into a you know a four spot where he can better shine and better limit his defense you bringing in somebody who who's you know more more talented and and can log 20 minutes 20 plus minutes easily defend really well and you know they need that they they don't have a prospect like that coming they don't have a first and they don't have many seconds or thirds either um so they really need to to get it to start using it because you know, this is one of eight years of Barkov and Kachuk. So if you're already crossing out this year, then you're down to seven. And defensemen, as we know, are more finicky and take longer. Let's get that defenseman in there, in here. Let's get him adapted to the team and the systems and get, get him playing. Because the things Maurice said he, he was going to do, he's doing. They're playing with pace, but they're also playing with punch, which is what a lot of us were asking for. There seems to be a focus to defense and a focus to playing a game at the same the same style for all sixty minutes. That there's a lot of appealing things going on, and I just want to lean into it. I know it's early. I know we got twenty some games before we really know what they're capable of. Th- there could be something here, and when you're saying Tampa Bay and Toronto falter. Um, you know, Boston's looking pretty good and, you know, some of the other teams in these that were kind of middle pack are, are looking a bit stronger, but, you know, you, you got to see an opportunity and, and seize it. What's interesting, and you're right about all of this, is I'm reading Corey Pronman at The Athletic doing, you know, like not redrafts, but tiers you know, of players from all these different drafts. And he's been doing them from, you know, 18, 19 drafts like that that are, you know, well in the rearview mirror now. And you're looking at some of the defensemen and the guys that they could have had. And I'm not saying that, you know, they made terrible draft, but, like, you're not going to pass over Anton Lindell in 2020. You're not going to do that. The two two I'll give them is, is, I mean, and even is Lindell and Knight. Those are two that you can say – trump cards take the best player available whatever but in in some of the other years i think they should have like you look at 2018 and you look at the guys you were talking about mills lundquist a lot but what does this team look like with uh and adam boquist you know on the blue line yeah i mean for them yeah 
well, not necessarily available or, but somebody like... I mean, but, I mean, Keandre Miller would yeah. obviously be somebody that would do well. I mean, Matias Samuelson the was the 32nd pick, and he just got a seven-year contract, which... <laughs> yeah, I don't know say, if he's worth it. But. but, like, but I'm saying, like, what does this team look like if Dennis Anko, who's still not an NHL player, what does he look like if some of those defensemen that have found their way to the league and become somewhat consistent players... What does this team look like if those defensemen are there and they're not, you know, running out Mark Stahl? Yeah. What does Speaking that look of like? 2018, you know, Montreal was able to trade Alexander Romanov for a first, for a mid first round pick just because they got him in and they were playing him in the NHL for, you know, he had NHL experience. He was young and, you know, a team fell in love with him. So it goes to show that, like, if if you're wor- like Dennis Anko doesn't have value or whatever, it's because they haven't been playing him. They didn't give him opportunity. They didn't just leave him out there to get better. And look, like I, I, I there's one name but on, I still the, on that think 2018 that list that I wanted to say, and that's Martin Faravari. You know, he's like one of the only ones of that Capitals defense core, and I liked his his playoff series last year. You know, that's a guy that they've played, and he grew into those minutes. And you know, like again. I'm not saying that they could have, you know, they would have drafted him where they, they, where they were, but I'm saying, like, look at the Panthers' defense score, and you, you tell me, like, if one of these young defensemen is there and Mark Stahl isn't, they're better, you know. Right. And, and, you, and, and you can say, you know, Sam Oskevich is the best prospect the Panthers have, but how much better would they be if they had Corson Kuhlemans, Carson Lambos, um... Some of the even the D in the early second round, like Owen Zellweger, Daniil Chaika, Scott Morrow, like how much better would they be with some of those defensemen in, in the system? Uh, you know, then maybe you could you could not have to make the trade because you could be like, oh, next year he we could push him to 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 performing camp. And, and really contribute to the team next year. Uh, it would be nice. I mean, you're seeing guys like Brant Clark, who was drafted eighth overall that year, make the NHL this year. Um, so I mean, also, look at Caden Gooley in 2020, I think it was, when he was drafted by Montreal, and he's been good. Like, again, right. they're, not, they're not, not taking Anton Lindell, but, again, the point yeah, is... Yeah, I mean, and if they weren't taking Anton Lindell, it was because they... We're taking Seth Jarvis. So, I mean, like, either of those two players being available at that time, I think, were easy, best... You know, there is a fundamental truth to sometimes it's better to just take the best player without thinking, and that is an example. But, yeah, I mean, Gooley looks good. But, I mean, Montreal has a couple defensemen that look good. Uh, one, you know, Jordan Harris, they have... Caden Gooley, and then... Uh, Are you going to screw this name up? Well, his nickname's Wi-Fi because his last name looks like the, the fault passwords on, like... I, I think that's the buttons. best nickname in hockey right now. Uh, not like the bar is very high. Now, it's Jekai, and I believe that's Kosovar because I, I'm a soccer fan, and I have seen what Kosovar nicknames look like. I think it's from that area. I'm not sure, but that's a guess. Yeah. Somewhat educated. Well, I mean... There's a, a decent amount of defensemen that are young, that are getting playing time, that have upside, that promise. And I think Zito can shake that loose with Dennis Anko, with Samus Gavage, with you know some of the 
these other defensemen and prospects and, and picks they have put together a package to get somebody that's blocked in uh, some an opportunity, give them that opportunity this year so they can contribute next year more. I, I just think it makes weight a lot of a lot of sense. I don't think it's going to happen immediately, but again, this no, defense I mean, core needs to improve. I just, yeah. I mean, again, I don't think it's going to happen immediately because I don't think it's going to be an overreaction to the Ekblad. I think it's, I, I'm hoping it happens because it's something that they're consistently looking at and consistently overturning rocks, and it happens as soon as they find something. That's that's my hope because yes. so, that's what they should be doing. <laughs> I think it's what every team should be doing, but especially when you're a team that is a little light defensively. Uh, I think that's pretty much it for the Panthers for the first four games. And yeah, there's a lot more that we're going to see. I still want to see more. You know, when they play Tampa, it's going to be interesting because it's the Lightning. You know, they've still got games that you know they have to improve in a lot of these areas. But just overall, as we quickly transition to a few other things around the league before we move on, I think that really what we've seen is about as good as we could have expected in the first four games, considering Ekblad, considering the cap situation of their own making. But it's now time to build on all of that and keep that consistent because if they're continuing to win three out of every four games, then you're talking about a team that's in really good position to take the steps and add to their game as we chart to get towards, you know, the end of the year when they need to be really focusing on the playoff details. And it's good to see that a lot of those playoff type details are already being added. And the one thing you said that I, I definitely agree with, which is, you know, the efforts there every night, you know, the efforts always been there. They're playing in that way. It's now a matter of adding the execution on top of it. And that's good because, you know, sometimes when you change so much after a season of, you know, huge success, but ended in such a crashing failure, you know, you might get pushback. But it doesn't seem like there's any pushback, really, from anyone in the dressing room. They all seem to have bought in. And again, it's a sign of, you know, what this team is, you know, looking at. Like, and that, I think, is a good step. And a sign of, again, a, a dressing room that is not what the Winnipeg Jets dressing room is, which we knew, but it's obviously a good sign. And I think that Paul Maurice's impact in that sense has been pretty immediate. But we got to see more, obviously. It's a good start, but you never hurt to demand more. I agree. So I agree. quickly on some other things, just league-wide, obviously. just other teams that you want to talk about. Um, you mentioned a couple to me uh, before we started recording. Um, where did you want to head with this? There's a couple teams that are winless, obviously. It's quite funny. Uh, um, Toronto sucks. Well, Let's start with Toronto. Okay, we could start with the Leafs. I, I mean... The media is already trying to run the coach out of town, and the coach is doing everything he possibly can to let them. Uh, you know what's it, funny about the Leafs that I find very interesting? And somebody mentioned this. I think it was Steve Dangle podcast, which I like listening to. It's that when the going gets tough, usually they respond. It's when things look like they're easy when they're bad because they find their way to losing to terrible teams like the Coyotes because it looks like they're just going to take this on easy street. You know, oh, we can turn it on whenever we want, and that's bad. Yeah, I mean, I just think that there is a lot of doubt in that locker room, and when things get hard, there's a lot of questions from the media. They want people to point fingers. They want people, and that kind of creeps in with the doubt, gets into the locker room. The coach says some weird things, and he has to go back and apologize, and he's getting asked in the media why he apologized. And I mean, it is 
hilarious to watch from the outside. I'm happy Florida does not have to deal with that. Well, as I said, um, one of the things I mentioned about Paul Maurice going from Winnipeg to Florida is it's no offense to David and Colby and George and Aaron and all these people who we like, but they are not going to be the same on you as any Canadian media is. It's a different kind of pressure. It's a different kind of ask you get from those media and also those that, you know, parachute in from the news stations or from, you know, Levitard and QAM right. and things like that. It's a different and kind of media that you're going to get when you're playing for the Florida Panthers. And for some players, that's just, you know, where they thrive. And I think for Paul Maurice, it's going to be something that helps him a little bit more after what he's dealt with. Yeah, and anybody looking at the coach in Toronto, I think is – whether he's the you know the best coach for the job or not, the issue looking at the defense and the goalies is the general manager, and that's where the hot seat hot seat should be. That's who should go, I think, kind of first. I if, think if, if, they if fail somebody to has the to series, it's a total yeah. house clean. But I mean, like if the if you're if you're picking somebody to run out of town, I would pick the person who put this defense and goalie tandem together. Not no, I mean, I think Samsonov was a fine investment to make, but you pair that with uh, a sturdy goaltender. You know, if you want to take the Matt, Matt Murray move and gamble, then you pair that with the solid goaltender because you know he's getting hurt and, and you know he's going to be bad. And they kind of didn't really do anything to protect themselves. They actively got older and worse defensively when that was a weakness um, you know, there's some teams that are really struggling putting out decors when they have talented offense, good pace, you know, and, and should be having some playoff success. So uh, how about those uh, collapsing Canucks? Yeah, I'm really upset I've drafted Demko in my fantasy league. Oh, um, there are a lot of people out there that are upset that they've drafted Thatcher I mean, Demko. He was, he was supposed to be a breakout candidate this year. Um, you know, everything was looking good. Still I read, could be. And, you know, it's something, something I think is not well in, in Vancouver, because they seem to not have any backbone whatsoever. They seem to be really pouty. And anytime they do well, they immediately self-sabotage and, and look putrid. And, I, and I, this is just from watching them last year, because I, I had Elias Pedersen on my fantasy team, and this year, because I have Demko. It, it, it's amazing. I've never seen a team that like actively shouldn't have the lead if they want to play well. It's weird. Like there are teams that play well when they're coming from behind. That's a thing in sports. But like there are teams that have never played well with leads. I, I've seen that. But this one, this one's pretty. I mean, when you set a league record for having multiple leads in all of your four games and blowing them all, like that's that's not that's not a good sign. Uh, Minnesota's also winless because Mark Andre Fleury looks terrible, but I think the Wild will again probably be fine. Um, uh, yeah, I mean I don't know. I think the Wild were uh, Kevin Fiala. I think was a lot more of that offense than people understood, and you know Ryan Hartman isn't going to be that ever again. Also talk about how guys like Shane Wright and Marco Rossi are either being played five minutes a night or getting scratched. Yeah, I mean, because they probably just, I mean, it's kind of 
it could easily be a Denisenko situation where they're just trying to give them a couple games because they can without starting their contract or whatever um, to let them see what it's like and how hard it is, but they're not ready. Uh, it doesn't surprise me Shane Wright isn't ready. Uh, most people aren't ready to play right after they're drafted. Like maybe a couple, a handful at most in a draft class are. I, I think only one player last year stayed in the league after being drafted, and that was, well, who was it, Skull Sillinger, I think it was? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it was Cole. Uh, and, you know, so it's – and it's not always the best thing anyway. So I, I think, you know, in this situation, he probably would benefit from the AHL. It's a shame that's not an option. They need to do something to fix it. But he'll probably go back. And, you know – I, I know he's not going to be happy. He's got nothing that. to prove in junior thing, but sometimes if you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, pick the least bad option. Yeah, and that's yeah. And that's I mean, you just you just need to. We've always said you have to play the minutes that you're expected to play in the NHL uh, if you're a top prospect. So you can't be playing under 15 minutes a night if you're supposed to be a. And top you can't be six playing center. six minutes with you know, not great players and not good assignments. It's just not. Yeah. And I mean, and you have a rookie, Matty Veneers right next to him on the bench showing, showing you what a teenager who plays in the NHL looks like. And, you know, the, the difference on ice is noticeable. He's very good. So yeah, it's not, you know, not saying Shane Wright is bad or worse or anything like this, but uh, you know, at this moment, he's not as ready as Beniers is, and it's noticeable that they're on the same team. I think Rossi, um, I think he probably is a little more ready and, and probably could play. Um, I just think that Minnesota's coach is pretty dead set on using some some more middle six and bottom six players higher in the lineup oh, because Dean they did Edison, good. We thought we liked you. Yeah, I think he's he's loyal to the guys that got him the extension you know these are the guys that in big minutes last year he played relied on and they executed for him so i think he's he's staying loyal to them uh you know i think if you put rossi up in with some of their talented guys they have i mean if you play him with the baldy uh for extended period of time and and manage his defensive usage uh you know i i don't think you have anything to worry about you know, unless he can't handle the the physicality and everything just yet, but you know, I I don't really know if that's true or not. Tampa has also started slow, but that doesn't like they'll be fine. It's like I'm not even bothering with this. Tampa's who gonna cares be fine. if they're not fine? But it's well, fun I mean, that who they cares suck. if they're not fine? But they're going to be fine. So I'm not I'm not worried about that in, in any like you, people j- dancing on their grave. Like good, they're going to be good again at some point in the future, and you're all going to look stupid. So. By the way, I think I, I forgot to mention with the reverse retro jerseys, the first game they're going to be worn is against Calgary because, of course, it is. I should have mentioned that off the top. It's like when they retired, in air quotes, Wayne Huizenga's number, when Vegas made its first appearance in Florida five years ago. Obviously, this is what they're doing. Of course. Um, uh, one of a couple other things that I think we should talk about, uh, the NHL released its, um, what was it, diversity report. You know, they went in and looked at who works in the league. It's very much not surprising as uh, who's in the league. I don't think they needed a report to tell you that. I'm glad that they are putting their own name on it, I guess. 
in a way because they should be doing that. But that being said, again, you've got to take steps to, you know, actually actively changing that. You know, this is still a white man's sport and you're going to have to put in a lot of effort at all levels to make this not exclusively a white man's sport. Right. But I don't know if that's done by just getting a bait, like going in being like, okay, it's what was it? 84% white or whatever. So we need to get this number to here or there. Um, I think you get at, you get at the numbers you want by not doing it by numbers. Uh, so I just hope that it doesn't change the focus. It's got to happen organically and they need to keep, you know, working on it, but they shouldn't be thinking about, you know, meeting quotas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's about, you know, getting the talent just organically. You know, I, there was a PR post about, um, Amanda Winklemeyer who works for the, the Panthers, you know, somebody who's working in STEM and helps in the, uh, analytics area. And it's like, again, if these things happen organically, as they should, you know, then you're going to change it organically. And some of, you know, the women being hired as assistant general managers, all of that's good. You know, Mike Greer being hired as a GM, all that's good. These processes need to happen organically. But the other thing that should be mentioned is it can't just happen at the NHL level. It's got to happen at all levels. You know, it's got to be grassroots. It's got to be junior hockey. It's got to be the AHL. It's got to be, you know, USA Hockey, Hockey Canada, things like that. And that is very important. And... I think sometimes we forget, you know, the NHL is the pinnacle. It is the highest level, but it's not the only level of the sport. And, you know, if you're going to have the system filter upward, which is what you would like eventually, and you're not just shoehorning people into roles because they can, you know, meet quotas. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, what what they need to do, make hockey more affordable, both to play and to be a fan of. And the second thing is, encourage hiring outside of hockey if they do those two things and then you know over a period of time those numbers will improve and if they don't then that is is very bad yeah and again it's got to happen you know um as you said excuse me organically and that's going to take time but there has to be a commitment to it you know what i mean and if there's not a commitment to it, then there's no point, obviously. You know, you can't just be putting out, you know, charts that say, hey, look, we acknowledge that this exists. But it's also on the sport to market itself better. And as you said, it's got to be more affordable, especially, you know, in every economy, it needs to be more affordable, especially now. You have to find a way, you know, if people are getting introduced to hockey through ball hockey and roller rinks, that's fine. But you've got to get them in the door and you've got to make it easier. I mean, subsidize, you know, equipment and subsidize ice time, you know, things like that. These are the kind of things that can be done and it can be done at all levels. It doesn't just have to be the NHL. These are the steps that I think have to be taken if you want the diversity of the game to grow. And it's getting better, but we shouldn't be celebrating the NHL, acknowledging what we already know and in being enabled to improve largely from a position of being at the worst possible position. Right? We can't celebrate that. So, regardless of that, I think that's pretty much it's about it for the first four games of the season. We're going to have a lot more to come, obviously. Uh, Dryden Hunt was claimed by the Avalanche. So, you know, whatever Panthers fans thought Dryden Hunt was going to be all those years ago, he is now going to be with the Avs. Yeah, they're going to waive him and lose him in a couple months. Don't worry. I mean, it's basically the Colorado Avalanche story. You know, they're getting trolled on waivers by the entirety of the league. And... 
such is. It's going to be like the Maple Leafs. Either way, thanks for listening. Hope you know, you've enjoyed the first couple of games. I hope we get some good goal songs coming in the uh, coming weeks. I, I'm really interested to see what some of them are. Either way... Yeah, they need to just release the playlist. I, yeah, we can do it all at once, but anyway, maybe they will. Uh, either way, good night and good hockey.